Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Amen. Matthew 1.23, we're going to try to answer a question from the Bible. Should Christians be celebrating Christmas? Matthew 1.23, some people say, well, there's more important things to talk about. I would agree with that. So we're going to talk about one of the lesser important things tonight, because all of the Bible is for for us to learn from. Matthew 1.23, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And this is a doctrinal truth that we must preach. Jesus Christ was born. God with us. Emmanuel. He came to earth as God manifest in a body of flesh. That is foundational doctrinal truth to any born again Christian. But it's not Christmas. And to go to that verse and try to use that as a verse to say, we're going to celebrate Christmas uh, is what I'd like to talk about tonight. The word can be uh, broken down pretty easily. Christ Mass, Christ Mass, or the Mass of Christ. Now that might not mean much to anyone who hasn't been brought up as Roman Catholic, but for but coming from someone who was saved out of Roman Catholicism, I went to a Mass every Sunday. I went to masses my whole life. So when I hear the word Christmas or Christ mass, I don't look at it like, oh, great, another mass we get to celebrate. I don't celebrate any mass anymore. I want to give you a little bit of background about the mass, because this is important. That's what it, that's what it is called, the mass of Christ. Roman Catholic Church, they have a daily mass. They have a Sunday mass. They have mass hymns. They have what's called holy days of obligation, which are which are masses. And if you were to go to a Roman Catholic funeral or you would go to a Roman Catholic wedding, that is a mass. All of it is surround. The whole Catholic life is surrounded around the mass. They have masses for everything. The mass has four parts. As an introductory rite, followed by the liturgy of the word, followed by the liturgy of the Eucharist, followed by the concluding rite. Now, the introductory rite and the liturgy of the word all leads up to the climax of a Roman Catholic mass. And if you don't know what that is, it's the third part. You'll know tonight. The Eucharist. That is why they come together, and that is why they gather together to participate in the climax of the Mass, which is the Eucharist. It is called, using Roman Catholic terms, the Eucharistic sacrifice. This is why it's called a Mass, because it is a continual and perpetual sacrifice. They call it the Holy 
sacrifice of the mass. Except there's nothing holy about it. It's absolutely blasphemous. But that is the climax of the mass. Why would I want to celebrate another mass? I don't celebrate the mass. Catholics have been taught, as I was growing up, that the only difference between the mass and Calvary's cross is that it is now, instead of a bloody sacrifice on the altar, it's an unbloody one. That is the only distinction that a Catholic would make between the mass and Calvary's cross. Anybody else think that's a pretty red flag of a problem? Sure is. It is not. The mass is not just a ritual of remembrance. They truly believe when it climaxes to this liturgy of the Eucharist, they believe that the priest says some words and he brings down God and he literally resides in that wafer and in that fermented wine that they pass out and allow everyone to drink. It's blasphemy, blasphemy. They celebrate that Eucharist. And they truly believe that Jesus is present. Why do they believe that? Because that is what they have been taught. And what they are taught surrounding that is that that is a way for them to receive graces. Now, a foundational and basic understanding of Roman Catholicism and its mass, which surrounds the whole Catholic life, Do you see why it's concerning for someone who came out of Roman Catholicism and now another mass is presented to him to celebrate? I'd gotten a book after I got saved. I I got a book, talked about all these different things uh, concerning these festivals that people celebrate. And the 6 a.m. men's Bible study that I was going to, I was real excited because I found some I found some truth that I thought others would be excited about. And I said, this is this is Roman Catholic mass stuff. And I was quickly pushed aside and said, well, no, you're, that, that's not really what it means. And so I put it down and let it alone. Why? Because I'm a new Christian. I don't know what I don't know, or at least I was told I don't know what I think I know. And that's the way it went down. I don't celebrate a mass. I'm asking you to not celebrate any masses either. So that's not why we do it. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to give you a little bit more background because during this mass, once it gets to this liturgy of the Eucharist, everyone that is Roman Catholic will be lined up And they will come down the middle aisle up to a priest. And that priest standing next to him will be an altar boy. And that altar boy will have all of these little Jesuses in in the form of a wafer in a little pan. 
and he will give one to the priest. And the priest will hold that up, that wafer. And you know what that priest will say to you? He will say the ungodly, blasphemous words. This is the body of Christ. That's a lie from the pits of hell. But that is what they believe. That is truly and honestly what they believe. That priest will look every single one of those people in the eye and he will either a deliberately lie to them or he has been so deceived and so confused that he does not know the Bible from third base. And he will look those people in the eye and he will blasphemously, blasphemously say, this is the body of Christ. It is not. And that is the climax of the mass. It all revolves around that Eucharist. You go to a Catholic funeral. Guess what it's going to have? The Eucharist. You go to a Catholic wedding. Guess what it's going to have? The Eucharist. The daily mass. The Sunday mass. The holy days of obligation mass. It is not a mass unless they do the Eucharist. Every single one. Without fail. Do you think you're going to a, a, a wedding? In a Catholic church, you're not. You're going to a mass. You think you're going to a funeral? And that's the big thing. We're going to remember. No, it's a mass. You cannot get away from it. You won't ever get away from it in that type of um, dead religion. That's what it is all about. Why in the world would someone do that? Because they have been taught their whole life that unless you ingest Jesus, you will not go to heaven. And if you've been told that your whole life, you need to come and get these graces. You need to come and eat Jesus. As disgusting as that sounds and as blasphemous as that is, that is what they truly and honestly believe. So they are continually offering up sacrifices. And the most blasphemous words that are spoken during the Mass is what we just went over. This is the body of Christ. They just want to flick it out of his hand and say, no, it ain't. His body was beaten. And he shed his blood one time. And the sacrifice is over. You can also see why these overinflated altar calls should be uh, it should should give any Christian alarm trying to get people worked up emotionally. But you can also see why when a Roman Catholic hears the word altar, he's concerned. <laughs> what are you talking about? Altar of what? Because <laughs> all we were brought up with is just an altar of sacrifice over and over again. So you got to you got to really qualify some things with 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 us with us. They're directly connected. They do not and will not, until they get regenerated, believe Jesus' words in John 19. It is finished. It's finished. That is your answer. That is my answer. That is Jesus' answer to all of the Mass. You're going to go to the Mass? No. Why? It is finished. You want to add another Mass to your calendar? No. Why? It is finished. No mass to celebrate. 
if you if a Roman Catholic is dying at home or a Roman Catholic is in the hospital bed dying, you know who's going to show up? A Roman Catholic priest. And he ain't coming empty handed. Oh, what do you mean? He's going to have a Bible? No, he is not going to have a Bible. They don't believe the Bible as far as they can throw it. Who wants to guess what that priest is going to show up with at the hospital with the Roman Catholic dying? Anybody want to guess? You got it. A Eucharist. That's what he's showing up with. Because they want that Roman Catholic on their dying deathbed. The last thing that they ingest before they die is the body of Christ. Blasphemy! And it's sending millions of souls to hell with that false doctrine. Why you... When I say these things, it's not that I don't love Roman Catholics. I am a former one. I have a heart for Roman Catholics. But if you don't demand that they at least consider and look at these truths... They're never going to come around. You've got to give them the truth of the gospel and show them why they need it. It's not the body of Christ. I'm sorry if you believe that. I believed it too. It was a one-time sacrifice. The word mass... It's derived from the Latin word missa, which means to be sent. Missa comes from the word missio, which means mission. Remember I told you there's four parts of the mass? The last part is the concluding rite. The concluding rite is when they are sent on their mission. And that closes out the mass. And you know what their mission is? Doctrinally speaking, for a Roman Catholic, to bring the Eucharist to the world and bring the world to the Eucharist. That's the central idea and theme around living life as a Catholic. You see why I'm not excited about a mass of Christ? The other thing that is directly connected to the mass are graven images. Go to Exodus chapter number 20. Watch what the Bible says in Exodus chapter number 20 and in verse number 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers under the children, under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You say, well, that's 
Pretty simple. Just show a Roman Catholic that verse. You'd think it'd be easy for them to look at, except it ain't in their Bible. You're saying they don't have 10 commandments? Oh, they have 10. They just took the second one out. Well, that's not right. We're not talking about doing what's right. We're talking about controlling people here, folks. <laughs> well, how do they get 10? Well, they have nine commandments. No, they've got 10. They take the 10th commandment and they split it and say, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's things or their goods, and thou shalt not cover their na thy neighbor's wife. So they'll take the 10th commandment, split it into two to fill the void of taken away from the word of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter number four. Deuteronomy chapter number four. Look at verse number 23. Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. Lord thy God is consuming fire, even jealous God. You know what God told his people, the nation of Israel? I'm gonna, he said, take heed. <laughs> I'm going to tell you again. No graven images. You know what that wafer is? They make it into a graven image. They worship and adore that image. You say, well, we do the Lord's Supper. What's the difference? We're talking about symbolism and an ordinance Christ gave to the church to do what? Remember. Remember. You can take anything and make it a graven image. You can worship the piano. That'd be weird. You could... Uh, kneel down here and, and worship what, it, you know, the, the, the pulpit altar. You can, people can make a, you can worship anything. What's the difference? When we do the Lord's Supper, we are remembering. We're not adoring and worshiping and bowing down to and paying our devotion to an image. It's not what we're doing. How in the world can they get, they get around those verses? It's very simple. Number one, you just convince you, you you've been convinced over the years to not believe the word of God, and they have been told <laughs> they have been told that that Eucharist is not an image; it is the body of Christ. It is Christ Himself. How can someone believe that? Why don't you just thank God that you don't believe that? Amen. Okay. Because there's millions of people around the world that do. You're starting to connect some more dots as to why I'm, I'm there's such a heartbeat of let's get out there and witness. Let's try to win souls. Let you get out in the streets. You're going to start talking to people. You start learning about their beliefs. Now you're going to start seeing and hearing all of these false belief systems. You know your Bible well enough, you'll be able to answer their question at a basic level and then get to the heart of the matter, which is the gospel. But that's not the end of the Eucharist. That wafer, it is placed in a sun-bursted golden vessel. 
My, my, my. Roman Catholics called a monstrance. You know what that is? Another image that they worship. The word monstrance means to show. And the purpose of the Catholic monstrance during the Mass is to show Christ. It's a golden image of the sun. And it sits on their altar. And they've got a Eucharist right in the center. Adoring, worshiping, bowing down. It's a false Christ that they place inside. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. And millions of Catholics are told to worship in this form. Ironically, bowing down to a sun-bursted golden vessel. In pagan worship, the sun always comes up. <laughs> it's going to show its face. You can believe that. Go to Ezekiel chapter number 8. Go past Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then you'll come to the book of Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapter number 8. God showed Ezekiel one of the greatest abominations in a vision. Ezekiel chapter number 8, verse number 16. Watch what it says. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they worship the sun toward the east. You know what one of the greatest abominations is? And God shows this to Ezekiel in a vision. People bowing down and worshiping the sun. You want to guess what a devout Catholic's going to put on top of his evergreen tree as a tree topper? You're hearing it here first, a mantra. Well, I would never do that. I know you would never do that. But devout Roman Catholics around this world do do that. You say, Brother Jimmy, you're just against everything. I'm not against everything. I'm not. I'm for a lot of things. But you're not going to convince me to celebrate a mass again. I don't celebrate the mass of Christ. This deception of pagan sun worship is something that God continually has to warn his people. And so I'm just trying to give us some information about this. In 1946, here's what this is a secular source, the Encyclopedia Americana. Now, when we were kids, we actually had uh, encyclopedias. We had bookshelves. I know that's a, a long lost art of shelving books. <laughs> but they would come in once a month. Oh, we'd get volume one. And we were excited because at the end of the year, we'd have all the, all the volumes. It was, a, it was fun. Now, we didn't have the one from 1946, but here's what, here's what I found. Christmas, uh, the encyclopedia 1946 says, it's the mass of Christ. In the fifth century, the Western church ordered it 
to be celebrated forever on the day of the old Roman feast of guess who? That'd be the birth of the sun. The birth of soul. Sun. S-O-L. Soul. Among the German and Celtic tribes, the winter solstice was considered an important an important point of the year, and they had their chief festival of Yule to commemorate the return of the burning wheel, which is the sun. We'll get more into that later uh, as far as the winter solstice, because it wasn't on the 25th, but the winter solstice and then uh, this worship of soul or the sun. We're going to get into that next Thursday, Lord willing. But the question is, is Christmas really about a biblical command? Is it really about a biblical principle to celebrate the birth of the Son of God? Or is it a carefully crafted deception to get people to worship the Son God? I'm a born-again Christian. I do not celebrate Mass anymore. I'm not interested in daily Mass, Sunday Mass, any Mass. Go to Hebrews chapter number 7. The Bible will tell us why. Hebrews chapter 7. I know we're all familiar with this, but the Bible says. In verse 24, we'll start with this man. Because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Guess who we're talking about? That'd be the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Here's the verse. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. You see why I don't need a daily mass? You see why you don't need a daily mass? For this, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. How many times? Once. For this he did how many times? Once. It's a one-time sacrifice. When he offered up, Himself. Jesus saves. He was offered up one time. Amen and amen and hallelujah and glory to God and fill in the rest of the adjectives. That's some good verse, Bible verses right there. You know what clear command I do have to celebrate? His death. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament of my blood. This do ye, this do ye, this do ye, as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's birth. No, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Death till he come. Many Christians do believe that December 25th should be set aside to celebrate the birth of Christ. 
So the question is this, is the day of Christ's birth given as an ordinance to the church to celebrate? Let's look at a few Bible verses regarding this. Let's go to the book of Isaiah. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon. And then Isaiah chapter 7. We have a question. We want to go and find out what the Bible says. It's great church fathers write things. It's great that Bible preachers have commentaries. It's great we can look back at history. It's great, it's great we can see sources on both sides, the pagan side and the so-called evangelical side. None of those source books are my final authority, and I'm asking them to not be yours. Our final authority is what the Bible says, and that's what we want to know. What does it say about the birth of Christ? Isaiah 7, verse number 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know what Isaiah is doing in the Old Testament concerning the birth of Christ? He's prophesying. In the Old Testament, that's what we have. Look at the ninth chapter, and it's the sixth verse. You're all familiar with this. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, praise the Lord for that. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know what you got? A prophecy of a child being born, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was prophesied. We even have a prophecy of where? Go to Micah. Book of Micah. Go. All the way in your old. Toward the back of your Old Testament. Toward the New Testament, rather. You come to the book of Micah. Right before Nahum. Right before Habakkuk. Habakkuk's five books back in the Old Testament. Keep flipping. You'll get the Micah. Micah chapter number five, look at verse number two. Micah five, verse number two. Micah, we get a prophecy of where Christ is going to be born. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratim, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, watch this, yet out of thee shall he come forth. Who's that? The birth of the Messiah. Unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. You want to guess who that is? You don't have to guess. It's prophetically given in Isaiah. And Micah gives us where? Bethlehem, Ephratim. Praise the Lord. Um, what was the purpose of Christ's death? Go back to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 52. So far, we know the birth of Christ was prophesied. We need, to, we need to teach and preach on the prophecy. We also have the prophecy of where we have the location. 
Bible's very specific. We need to teach and preach on that. And then he had a, the birth of Christ had a specific purpose. Let's see if that purpose has anything to do with celebrating his birth. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which he had been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Watch what it says. The purpose of the Messiah being born. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Why is this world so caught up in vanity? It's like to drop a copy of the book of Ecclesiastes in Hollywood. I just want to rent a helicopter and just drop it all over. It's all vanity. Vanity. Watch what it says, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we hid, as it were our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. See what his purpose is? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we are healed. You see his purpose? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because of your sin, because of my sin, his purpose to be born. It was prophesied. The location was given. And the purpose was to die for your iniquity and for your sins. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. Out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. You've got the purpose of Christ prophesied all through Isaiah. Specifically, 53, the chapter, 53rd chapter, the purpose of him coming and being born. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities what was the purpose of christ's birth to bear your iniquity last verse in this chapter therefore will i divide him a portion with the great he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many 
and made intercession for the transgressors. Go to Matthew 1. You see his purpose prophesied? In what we read in the Old Testament by the prophets, did Isaiah hint at, did Micah hint at us creating a day to worship and celebrate his birth? What are we to do? Preach it, teach it, make sure everybody knows it. On what day? Let me tell you, I am not waiting 12 months out of the year to pick one day and talk about the birth of Christ. We're doing it every day. We're doing it every week. We're doing it every month. We're going out and telling people Christ was born of a virgin. He came. It was God manifest the body of flesh. He lived a sinless life. We're playing out what God expects us as Christians to do. Teach the prophecy. Teach his birth. Teach his sinless life. Always a purpose to die for that sinner's soul. Matthew 1, 21. And he shall bring forth a son. And she... Come on. I got to get my words right. Some internet pirate's going to clip that one and run with it. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is, he was born to what? He was born to. Say, for the sake of time, we're not going to turn to these passages, but in Job and in Jeremiah, both of them, both of them curse the day they were born. Job and Jeremiah. Both of those men. This is why Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. Well, the Holy Spirit wrote it through Jeremiah. They were men of sorrow. If you are to denounce your birth, that's the guy that signed up for, yeah, I'm going to die to self daily. <laughs> My birth is nothing. Matter of fact, when it comes around every year that when the day when I was birthed, just curse me. Don't bless me. Don't give me any candles. Don't give me a cake. Don't give me a present. Don't give me anything. That's Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah. My birth's nothing. Better your death than your birth. If you're a born again child of God. That's a better day. Birthdays didn't end well in the Bible. The Old Testament, Pharaoh hung his baker. I don't know if he just botched the cake or whatever, but he decided he was going to get hung in, in Genesis 40. And then Herod, New Testament, John the Baptist, he had him beheaded. You can read that account in March in Mark 6. Uh, Herod slew all the children back in Jesus' day. All of the children under two. King Herod at that time slew all the children. It's hard for us to think about that, but I'm going to ask you to think about that. Because if you're married, living in that area, and a year rolls around, 
and it's let's sing happy birthday to my baby Jesus. None of the mamas are coming to the party. Their kids are dead. They're dead. It was a horrible thing the parrot did. Christ came to die. Yes, he was born. It was prophesied. Yes, he was born of a virgin. We teach it. We believe it. We have no day to celebrate. Bible says, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I know you can grab books. I know you can grab internet, uh, uh, YouTube videos. I know you can grab blogs. I know you can grab Facebook lives and you can get all that on people trying to get you on their side. I have no, I, I am not trying to get anybody on my side. I don't have a side. I'm on the Lord's side and I want you to be on the Lord's side. I want you to be fully persuaded in your mind. And you know what my job to do is? It's not to get you to believe like I believe. I'm not trying to get somebody to come over to my side. I want you to be fully persuaded in your own mind, your own mind, through the word of God. That's what I want you to get a hold of. What does the word of God say? And if you see it another way, then be fully persuaded. But I want to magnify thy word above all thy name, like the Bible says. We as Christians are commanded by God to celebrate and remember our Lord's death. Last verse and then we'll be done. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22. This is why the Lord gave the church a day to celebrate. Luke 22, verse number 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. You can see why a saved Jew would be confused about esteeming one day higher than another day, right? Days of unleavened bread, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost. You, you can see why a Jew can really get a hold of that verse in Romans after they got saved. Why? Because they did have feast days. Does it make sense? When we get to Luke 22 and when the Lord says, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. It's a remembering the one day. If you want to call it a feast day, the one ordinance, the one time we're supposed to get to sell, get together and celebrate. It's the Lord's Supper. And it's a remembrance. And you know what dead religion does? Totally flips it upside down and makes that a blasphemous celebration, calling it the literal body of Christ. It's blasphemy and it's wrong. 
You esteem one day higher than another. Be fully persuaded in your own in your own mind. Every day to me is a light. I'm going to get up on the 25th. I'm going to do the same thing I did on the 24th. Well, no, I'm not because it's Sunday. So it, I'm going to do the same thing I do every other Sunday. Okay. You don't see it that way. That is okay. Just be fully persuaded in your mind. I want you to know why you believe what you believe. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.